0: We're going to look this morning at the heart of God. And the first passage that I'm going to read for you is from Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, so right at the beginning of the Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God. And today, we're going to look at a number of women in the Bible who exhibit some of these wonderful characteristics of God. If... A little imperfectly. But hang on, guys. It doesn't mean that you now need to switch off. Okay? Gentlemen in the room, you can stay listening along with us, ladies. Because we are all made in the image of God. Both men and women reflect who God is. Because even though we are all imperfect, we are made in his likeness. And we can see traits of our Heavenly Father, if a little, incomplete in us. In a wonderfully mysterious way, which we might not be able to understand, we do reflect God's nature. And in Genesis 1 that I've just read, we don't see any distinction between male and female. Now... I don't want to bring any confusion this morning, because what I'm talking about is in characteristics, because God does make men and women differently. He has made us different. Women are not men, and men are not women. Obviously, structurally, we're quite different, but in in our... I don't want to go into detail, you know what I mean. In our genders, we are different, okay? So traditionally, we may have thought that we're quite uh, different in our personalities as well. But we can understand that actually we are created all in God's image. So a few years ago, if I was speaking to you, you may, or I know I would have done so, you may have done as well, had a blue list of characteristics and a pink list, okay? So a blue list might consist of strength and power and decisiveness and provider and ruler, you know, all the manly things. And then the pink list, (laughs) the pink list, (laughs) you're allowed to roar, do you want to get it out of your systems? (laughs) The pink, soft and gentle. (laughs) beauty, and grace, and creativity, and tender love, and care, and mercy, all the delicate things. Now, I'm not here this morning to promote a gender-neutral God, not at all. I wouldn't want to rob him of who he is. That would be wrong. But instead, I want to draw our attention to the wide diversity of who God is in his character. And both male and female reflect that in part. And somebody said it earlier, I can't remember which of the words it was now, but God is multifaceted. There are many, many aspects to our loving Heavenly Father. So if I were to attribute some of the softer pink characteristics to our Heavenly Father, would I be robbing God of who he is, of his masculinity and his strength? I think we've got it a little bit wrong, haven't we, down through the ages. Our worldview or our society around us might have got it twisted a bit. Because Genesis 1, let's refer back to scripture, says we're all made in the image of God. We do need to be aware of the world around us, don't we? We live in the world and it is constantly changing. There are always different ideas that come, and after a little while, those ideas suddenly take root, and they're truth. But are they truth? The society that we live in, in the West, is constantly changing on this issue of gender, and we need to be aware, we need to be alert. What does the Bible say? So our foundation must be strong and secure in God. And in the scriptures. Genesis said that we're made in his image. So, what does image mean? It's a representation, isn't it? It's a general impression. We are not identical. We are not little gods. We are in the image of God. And if we keep that in our hearts, that we are a representation. We must make sure that we don't fall into the danger of self-worship or self-obsession. Again, I think you would agree with me that actually the West, where we're living, is quite self-obsessed. We are constantly looking inward rather than outward. We're always wondering about ourselves. We are the most important person in the universe. We need to be careful. Because self-obsession is self-worship, and we need to worship God. We need to keep ourselves humble. And actually, as we progress, as we grow, as we understand more of who God is, it does then give us more of a chance to understand who we are. Because we're, we're in his image. What does God say about us? If we understand more of him we get an understanding of what he says about us. And as we look at God and begin to understand his perfect characteristics, we can actually rip up that list, that pink and that blue list, and put them all in together, maybe make it purple. Okay, so we're not ripping up the gender differences. Remember, we're talking characteristics. Men are not women, and women are not men. In this society, there's an idea that we should all be equal. Well, actually, we women, we are women, and we cannot be men, because God has made us differently. We are not inferior, but we are different, okay? So if we were to see creativity in a man, that doesn't mean he's effeminate. And likewise, if we were to see a strong woman, that doesn't mean she's butch or masculine. But both reflect God for his glory. And it doesn't stop there. We're not done, we're not dusted. Our personalities are not limited to the way we are born. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on the new self, which is being renewed, in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We are being renewed. We are being changed. We are being developed. Put on that new self. And Jesus Christ's redemption of us starts the process of restoring the image of God the Father in us. 1 John says we are being conformed to his image. Knowing one day, perfectly, when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. So we're going to look at six traits today. Although we're going to look at ladies, they're all female examples that we're going to talk about. These are not exclusively female traits But instead, they are traits of God that we could all find in ourselves, if a little imperfect. Okay, so as I move through these different traits this morning, there are going to be lovely screen images behind me. And in those, I'm going to refer to different characters, different people in the Bible. And rather than us quickly flicking through to every passage, there's going to be a a book of the Bible where you can find out more of this character. So I might refer to someone and you you might think, hey, that's interesting, I don't know who she is. The book will be there, you can have a look when you get home, all right. So the first one we're going to look at is Fierce Love. This is actually quite a common trait that we find in people in the Bible. And these three women that I'm going to refer to, we've got Rachel. Rachel's in Genesis, and she's married to Jacob. Jacob's first wife, who is actually also Rachel's sister, her older sister, she has four boys by Jacob, and Rachel doesn't have any children. She has... um, looked at her sister, and she's struck with a fierceness. She cries out to Jacob, Give me children, or I will die. Then there's Hannah. Hannah in the book of Samuel. She prays so fiercely for a child that the priest who sees her in the temple thought she was drunk. And then Mary. You know the Mary we all imagine in blue with the white headdress? Mary, the mother of Jesus, she sings her song in Luke chapter 1. With such a strength, she begins to bond with the child that's not yet born. Now, I realise that this example for for guys is quite a difficult thing, and I understand that, that men can sometimes feel quite excluded from that bonding process that goes on between a mother and her unborn baby. She will be fiercely protective over that growing child inside her. And in fact, I remember when carrying each of our three children, I was on a daily basis praying for them, speaking to them, telling them I loved them, but I hadn't yet met them face to face. There was a time with our number two baby, who most of you will know, her name's Daisy. Um, We were told that she wouldn't survive. She, wouldn't, she would either die whilst within me, or when she was born, she would die. That stirred me to such a fierceness of praying for her healing and her recovery. She's 19, she's doing very well. And it's often that fierce love that we see that is developed before birth, and grows stronger and more passionate through the years. Now, there's a wonderful story. I enjoyed watching a clip on YouTube of a gentleman, of a, ne- a guy called Tony Wilson. He was a former British light heavyweight boxer. He had a fight with a guy called Steve McCarthy back in 1989, which to me doesn't seem very long ago, but it, it's quite a while now. In the third round, McCarthy knocked Wilson down onto the floor. He manages to get up. He's only then caught in the corner by McCarthy, who's repeatedly punching him with his fists. Then a woman appears in the ring. Tony Wilson's mother has climbed into the boxing ring in order to defend her little boy. And it's from this onslaught that she took off her shoe and she began to hit McCarthy and the referee over the head. Now this is fierce love. This human picture gives us a glimpse of God and his love for his children. Psalm 139 says, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Earlier in this psalm, the writer says, where can I go from your spirit? And in Romans 8, there's a question. Who can separate us from the love of God? Our God who knew us and made us, he broods over us to nurture, to strengthen, he watches over us, he defends us, he fights for us, he protects us all the days of our lives. He loves us with a fierce love. Number two, cunning. Wow. The dictionary says that cunning is the quality or skill of being clever at planning something to get what you want, especially by tricking other people. Now, Moses' mother was commanded to throw her baby into the river. She obeyed this order, but not quite. She made a basket out of uh, reeds, made it waterproof with tar, floated it onto the water with the baby Moses inside. Now, all the time, this basket was being watched over by Moses' sister. And as the basket floated, it was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And at that point, Moses' sister jumps up, And she says, I'll go find a wet nurse. I'll find someone to help you. Who was on hand, but Moses' mum. There's a lady called Jael in the book of Judges. She lured a man called Sisera into her tent. Now, he was an important man. He was the commander of the army of Cana and he lured this man, sorry, she lured this man into her tent with promises of safety and hospitality. Now, when he was asleep, she had covered him with a blanket to keep him warm, but as he slept, she picked up a tent peg and a hammer and drove it through his temple and into the ground. He died, obviously. Now, Jael's cunning had drawn Sisera in to a false sense of security, allowing her to kill him. But actually, this, in time, released Israel from oppression. Now, we've got Esther. Esther uses her beauty with King Xerxes to gain favor. Now, once she was able to be heard... By the king, she had won his approval. She was used in God's purposes for the saving of her people, the Jews. And there's another cunning lady, there seem to be quite a lot of cunning ladies. Um, her name's Rahab, and she lied to her own king and gave false information about some Israelite spies who'd come into the land. She'd hidden them in her house, actually on the roof under some reeds in order that her family would be saved, and then the spies were able to get home, report back to Joshua with the information, and it meant that they could take the land. There's another cunning woman in Two Kings. She saves the child king. Her name is Jehosheba. It's not one that seems to have returned into use today. Jehosheba. She took Joash and stole him from among the king's sons who were all being put to death. She saved this one boy and she hid him for six years. She hid him from the old king's murderous mother who wanted rid of all of those who threatened her rule and authority. Now, even Mary, she was cunning. Because we see Jesus at the wedding of Cana, and she'd said to her, sorry, he'd said to her, my time is not now. But actually, she put him on the spot and he did do a miracle. He turned that water into wine. Now I think this is a really surprising trait to find. And it's one that we do need to be cautious of. Because This cunning must not include manipulation nor lies because we know that manipulation is a counterfeit cunning that we can clearly see back in Genesis, back in the serpent serpent in the Garden of Eden. The devil took something that God had made good and twisted it and distorted it. Because do you remember Delilah? Remember the story of Delilah? She used her beauty to distract Samson from God's plan. In contrast to Esther that we spoke of earlier, who was beautiful, but she didn't manipulate. And Jezebel and Salome, two more beautiful women who manipulated men for their own means through sexuality. And this is the dark side of this trait. It's sin-spoiled and it's counterfeit. But God does use cunning. If we look at the story of the prudent manager, sometimes it's called the shrewd manager in Luke chapter 16. The manager wipes out the the debt or reduces sorry the debt that is owed to his boss in order to win friends. Now, he does this because he knows he's going to lose his job and he wants to have some friends that maybe will offer him work afterwards. Uh, But strangely, this manager is commended by his boss once he finds out what he's done. The NIV's words say he was commended because he acted shrewdly. This characteristic is one that we don't talk about very much. And we probably wouldn't consider it to be very godly. It's a characteristic that falls somewhere between gullible and the rogue. But I think it's quite close to the rogue end. But cunning comes perfectly from the heart of God. Who will work in us to shape us, to move our circumstances... To direct hearts, to lead and work his purposes out through us. He wants to release it with purity in us too. Jesus said, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. So, number three, concern. Mark chapter 7, we find a woman who we don't know her name, but she is full of concern for her daughter who is possessed by an impure spirit. She fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to release her daughter. And Jesus saw her concern and faith and remarked upon it. Jesus commended her for her faith. And then he answered her request. Now, we know that God has deep concern for us who are his children. Even now, Jesus is interceding on our behalf in heaven. God responded to concern in John chapter 14. Do you remember when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to leave them? He was going to go back to the Father in heaven but it's okay. The Holy Spirit would come and be there and now our counsellor. So we would not be left alone. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. God shows his concern for us. You know, we can all feel overwhelmed. We sometimes have such huge Concerns for those that we love, whether it be our children or our parents or those that we're close to. And I pray that you receive his peace this morning that Jesus spoke of to carry in strength this concern. The peace that he said, Peace I leave with you, peace I give you. And I pray that you know that you are deeply loved. Now, compassion, number four. Ruth, I like the story of Ruth. Ruth, chapter one, she said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. They're so strong, aren't they, those words? She felt such deep compassion for her mother-in-law that put her mother-in-law above her own well-being. Do you remember the pharaoh's daughter? She felt compassion. She was stirred to feel compassion on this baby in the basket. And in Isaiah, Isaiah, it says, can a mother forget the baby on her breast or have no compassion on the child that she has born? Now, sadly, we know that even though there is this tight bond between mother and child, it doesn't always reflect perfectly the compassion and unfailing love. But God is perfect in his compassion for us and his unfailing love. So much more than any fiercely loving mother. So whatever you're facing, however confused or abandoned you may feel, God, our loving Heavenly Father, is moved with compassion and loving kindness A parent uh, who won't abandon us, who will not turn us away, who will nurture us. Number five, faithfulness. Mary treasured things in her heart. Hannah, she dedicated her son to God, weaning him on the promises of God, giving him up to the temple and making him new new clothes every year. She didn't forget. She helped him to grow into his call of God. And Anna, do you remember Anna in the temple when Mary and Jesus went to um, the temple for their purification rites? Anna was there. She was consistent, and she was faithful. Now, we were told of Anna that she was married only seven years of her life and her husband died she was a widow until she was 84 years old that's a long time to be on your own but in that time she never left the temple she worshipped day and night fasting and praying she was waiting faithfully to see the face of her Lord Jesus her Saviour Now women are often the keepers of the prophetic promises, not exclusively, don't hear that wrong, but they store them up in their hearts, praying over them and seeking God. To be faithful isn't to be manipulative, it's not to to be pushy or to be working our own way through these promises that God gives us, you know, I can do it, oh I know what needs to be done, no, no, it's waiting patiently. Because if we look at Samson's parents, they had prophetic words concerning Samson. And they held on to them, but in that time they didn't actually shape the boy that grew into the man. Faithfulness does need to face sin. It doesn't gloss over the issues that need to be dealt with. It is proactive and responsive. And Samson's parents were in contrast to John the Baptist and Jesus' parents, who were both aware of prophetic promises over their own children, and they nurtured them. The mothers were nurturing of their children. They were faithful in holding on to the hidden things that couldn't be seen, and yet they were going to grow into. Now, I've got a story in this in that God has spoken concerning our three children. And as the seasons change in their lives, I see God's words coming to fruition that I've written down and stored away and prayed over. And when I've seen little traits coming out that I've thought, oh, hang on, that's not godly. I've prayed over it. I've prayed over them. I've I've sought God on how to raise our children we have a faithful God, one who plans and purposes that he will shape in us as we grow in him. And we have a confidence in the secret place of our hearts. And as you treasure the promises that he has given you, that they will come right at the right time through prayer and stewardship. You know, maybe you've not seen some of the promises that he's spoken over you yet. Hold on, because God is faithful. Yes. Number six, patience. Now, Rachel waited for seven years to be married to Jacob and then had to share him for many more years with her fertile, childbearing sister before her son Joseph was born. And both Sarah and Elizabeth, they were patient in their waiting, trusting that God's words would come about. And even though these two ladies were beyond childbearing age, we're told that Sarah is 90. And we're just told of Elizabeth that she was old. So no matter how long it takes, if God has spoken, don't give up. We must wait Well, we must trust because He is faithful. Keep waiting, keep praying, keep a quiet and thankful spirit, and refuse to grumble, refuse to become bitter in the waiting, refuse to become barren, and then. We will be ready and positioned when God does what he promises. Now all these ladies um, that we have just heard about and many, many men in the Bible point us to Jesus. In all of their imperfections, their characters point us to who Jesus is. That fierce love is seen completely and perfectly in Jesus, who laid down his life for his friends. That cunning and shrewdness is seen in Jesus, the one who lived among his enemies, as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. That concern that we see is perfected in Jesus, who made arrangements for the care of his mother when he was dying on the cross, Jesus will not let us go. He longs to feed us, to protect us, to strengthen us. Jesus is compassionate. When he walked on this earth, he was moved by the plight of the poor and the sick to act with mercy. And in Mark 1, it says, Jesus, who, filled with compassion, stretched out his hand and healed the leper. Mary, Hannah, Anna, they're faithful. But Jesus is forever faithful, not turning away from his call. The saviour who drunk the cup or he went ahead with what he knew was going to be terrible through the pain of the cross. Our Lord Jesus is abounding in patience with us. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. The God who waits, longing that no one, no one should perish. Now, we've looked at these ladies who have shown these characteristics, and they all point to the one who shows us God in his perfect humanity, made God in his, made in the image that Jesus was without sin. Jesus demonstrates this fierce love and faithfulness by going all the way to the cross and dying for us who could do nothing about the burden of our sin and our shame. Now, understanding these characteristics and so much more are found perfectly in Jesus and this leads us to worship and deeper intimacy with the God who is restoring his imprint on us.